Welcome. This week we're taking a break from our Genesis Sermon series. Brian Ferrone is giving a North Central District update and preaching a sermon called Surrounded. Looking back to gain perspective when our plans fall apart. Uh, I'm excited to introduce Brian Ferrone. He is the gentleman standing next to me. He is the superintendent of the North Central District. And you may ask, what in the world is that? Well, just to bring all of us up to speed, in case you're wondering, we as City on a Hill Church became part of the Evangelical Free Church of America. So that can be shortened to EFCA. If you'd like to know more about the EFCA, efca.org, you can find that sometime later, not during the sermon. Listen to Brian during the sermon, okay? But uh, we went through that process, got our paperwork done, and just a few months ago, were welcomed into the district. So the EFCA split into numerous districts all around the country. There are a few thousand free churches all over the country. And we are blessed to be a part of the Evangelical Free Church. Now, in our district, the North Central District, it is most of the state of Minnesota. And there are 140-some churches. A few more. I'll, and, yeah. All right. I'll let him speak <laughs> about that. So anyway, uh, Brian oversees the leadership team that is involved in caring for the churches in our district. Brian joined our district back in 2017. Uh, so we're glad to have him apart after we were welcomed into the free church. I met with Brian, love this guy, love his heart for churches and especially for the Lord. And he volunteered to come to Rosemount. He could be doing all sorts of things at his weekend, but he wanted to be here. We met, I don't know, months ago and all of a sudden here we are. So welcome to City on a Hill Church. So glad that you're here, and uh, we look forward for, uh, for your message and leading us into your word and, and kind of filling in the blanks more. Thank you, Thanks. Bruce. Thank you. Well, good morning. It is really good to be here with you this morning. As Bruce mentioned, my name's Brian Ferrone, and I serve as district superintendent for EFCA's North Central District. And I'll talk a little more about that today. Really, I want to do two things today. Um, on the one hand, I want to talk a little bit about the family of churches that you're a part of. And you officially joined us uh, very recently, but at coming out of South Suburban Church, you've been part of us really the whole way through. Um, and then the second thing, the more important thing that I want to do today is be an encouragement to you from God's Word. And so we're going to spend the bulk of our time today in Hebrews chapter 11, seeing a passage that has been for me so encouraging in these last days. So let me just spend a little time kind of walking through some district stuff. And before I uh, get too far into my introduction, I also want to say that I'm here with my wife, Terry, and my son, Samuel. Uh, they joined me today. They'd be happy to greet you after the service. Um, but the North Central District, uh, as you can see, we're an organization that serves churches. It's what we do. We serve church leaders like your pastors and elders. We serve congregations like yours. Uh, a little bit of information about us. We're really a family of churches on a mission together here in Minnesota. Um, if you see that picture behind me, it's kind of our family portrait. Uh, churches scattered all around the state from places like Grand Marais and Thief River Falls to Rochester, places like Worthington and Ballatin, Fergus Falls, many, many here in the metro, many in the other larger areas, places like Duluth, um, and scattered all through greater Minnesota is where your sister congregations are doing what you guys are doing right now, kind of the same thing, same mission, same pur purpose. I do want to say a word of thanks uh, it is the driving mission of our team, and you see it up there, to serve pastors, churches, and church leaders. And without churches like yours, we just couldn't do it. 
Um, and so we are thankful, genuinely thankful for your partnership. Um, it is so much better for churches to be together and not alone, and you help us to do that. So thank you. A couple other things I want to show you just to give you a sense of how many of us there are. We're about 173 congregations in Minnesota. 144 of those are churches like yours, kind of fully established churches who've gone through the planting and growing and being received into our district. Another 10 or so of those, I think there actually might be one or two more right now even, are church plants that are in process that, on the one hand, to my family, I grew up in a non-believing family. My family couldn't tell the difference between our church plants and a, a fully established church. So we have about 155 of those, about 12 second language congregations, uh, mostly Spanish, but there are a few others. And these tend to be embedded in larger churches. That's by their preference. When we ask our Latino pastors, What's your favorite strategy? They all want to find a, uh, mostly, not all of them, but nearly all of them want to find a larger congregation in which to be a part of and to be their own congregation. And then we have seven multi-site campuses. Um, again, those would look pretty much just like ordinary congregations to you and I. Uh, one last thing I just want to say, we're a, we're a long established district. We have lots of resources. Um, we have lots of uh, technology on how to help churches. We know the ropes as it were. But the best thing we have to offer, um, and this is really true, it's also true of your congregation, the people on our team are easily the best human resource we have. Apart from God and the gospel, there's nothing better that we offer than these people. We have this wonderful team of 11 now. Our most recent addition is Andrea Tyson. She joined to serve women in ministry just about two weeks ago, if I'm, or well, the beginning of this month, however many weeks ago October 1st was. That's when she joined our team. And uh, these people uh, will pour their lives into your congregation. They are here to serve you. Uh, please call on them. They have tons of expertise across the range of, of issues that churches face, and they are to a person, godly Christian leaders, who are there to help. That's a little bit about our team and our ministry. Now I want to turn us toward Hebrews 11. If you would just for a moment pause with me and pray uh, that God would come and speak to us through his word. Let's pray. Father, we are here this morning and we arrived in this room from all kinds of situations. For some of us, Lord, this is an easy season, and we feel like we're cruising. Lord, I thank you for that. Others, Lord, arrived in this room uh, feeling low, struggling, tired, maybe hurting. Lord, however we ended up in this room, I pray that you would give us ears that can hear your word today. I pray that you would open our eyes to see what is there for us in Hebrews 11, that we would be able to hear your word and think about our lives and put it into practice. God, I pray that you would guard my words. I pray they'd honor you. I pray they'd glorify you. I pray they'd be an encouragement to your people today, an invitation to walk by faith. Lord, I pray you would guard our ears, each of us, myself included. Lord, help me to hear afresh. Help us to hear rightly what it is you want to say to us today in your word. We pray these things because Jesus Christ made a way through the cross for us to be reconciled to God. So Lord, we know you hear us, and it's in Jesus' beautiful, powerful, wonderful name that we pray these prayers. Amen. I want to begin this morning with a question. Um, have you ever heard the phrase, I can't see the forest because of the trees, or for the trees? It's a phrase, it's kind of a picture. It imagines a person standing in a giant forest and they're so close to an individual tree that they can't see anything. 
Have you ever been in a situation like that where you didn't really understand the context because you were so caught up in the details? It was so easy to lose perspective. Uh, This past year has been a year of challenges for me. I don't know if anybody else can feel that same thing. It has been a year filled with uh, changed plans. I remember in March of 2020, as I was looking back, when we began this really two-year period, uh, we were planning a district conference. Anybody want to guess if that happened? No. We were planning to launch a foundation to help give money back to churches for mission. Anybody want to guess if we did that that year? No, we paused that too. We had all kinds of plans that got put on the side. So many people in this last year have had uh, weddings that were very different, right? Or school experiences. I know know many a senior in high school uh, who did not plan to spend their senior year in high school looking at at a screen. But we did, didn't we? So many things happened from uh, weddings that went sideways. I was talking to a pastor this week, a little north of the Twin Cities, and he said something to me I won't forget soon. He said, I did the hardest funeral I've ever done in my life during these last two years. And he said, there were only 10 people there. And it was devastating to try to celebrate the life of someone we lost, right? And we know these stories. We experienced them. This last year has been a very easy time lose perspective. It's so easy. It's been an exceptionally easy time to not see the forest because of all those trees that are shoved up in our face. This morning, what I want to invite you to do with me is to look at Hebrews chapter 11, a passage that God brought to my heart right in the middle of this mess we've been in that has been for me such an encouragement as I've tried to gain perspective, to try to remember there's a forest that actually exists even, even though these trees of uh, civil unrest, these trees of uh, division, these trees of vaccinations, these trees of masks, these trees, that, even though those are all up in my face, there's a forest that exists. And I hope today will help you see that afresh. It, it certainly has for me. So if you have a Bible, turn in it to the book of Hebrews. And we're going to kind of go through chunk by chunk and see how this passage can help us gain perspective when things have fallen apart. And I'm going to read it piece by piece. Um, And we're going to begin with the first seven verses of Hebrews 11, um, a passage that can help us gain perspective. And as we do this, I want to, I want to invite you. It's easy to like, we're going to, we're going to hear thousand years of history today in the Bible. We're going to hear story after story. And it's easy to gloss over these people as if they are not real people, as if they merely exist on the pages of the Bible. But can I invite you to try to put yourself in their place. Try to imagine what it was like for those who went before us. That's one of the main reasons we have this passage of Scripture. Now, having said that, let me read Hebrews 11, the first seven verses, where we'll see Abel, we'll see Enoch, and we're going to see Noah. It says this, verse 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him up. 
Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Verse 7, by faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So consider these three people that are put before us. First, we see Abel. And I don't know if you remember the story. You guys are in Genesis. If you go way back to the beginning, you have these two brothers. And one sacrifice was acceptable, and the other sacrifice wasn't. And, uh, and through that story, Abel was killed by his brother. And the Bible said that even though he died, he still speaks. He speaks the story of faith. Imagine what that would have been like way back in the day. Or imagine Enoch. We can glaze right over him. Imagine you live in a world that's so wicked that your life stands apart as entirely different. Enoch's story is unique in the Bible that he was, it says he was taken up without dying. And we think, what a miracle, what a glorious thing. But imagine how, have you ever felt kind of disconnected from the world you live in? Like, I felt a little disconnected this last year from the world I live in. But imagine what it'd be like if this world was so polarized and Enoch was such a solitary, holy figure that he was taken away. Or think about the story of Noah. Noah, a real man, was told by God that that catastrophe was coming. And God instructs him to do what probably looked like a crazy thing. He builds this ark, and his family is put in it, along with all these animals, and they are rescued from the coming flood. And his life is intended to be a condemnation of this world and its brokenness, and a reminder of the hope that comes through God and his rescuing work. Imagine that was your story. What would it be like to build that ark? To, to experience what I'm sure was the cultural scorn of the people around you. To know that such destruction and difficulty was coming. And then to have your name forever associated with these polarizing realities of hope and destruction. That was their story. Put yourself in their place. Wonder what it would be like. Let's move on. The passage moves on to invite us to consider Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. And this is kind of a long section, but listen along as I read it. Try to imagine what it would have been like to be these people. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had not been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. 
Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who had received the promises, was in an act of offering up. He who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it is said, through Isaac, your offspring shall be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over his head with his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Think about these people. Think about Abraham and Sarah. They were called to leave their homeland and go to a place of promise. And it wasn't like, you know, Terry Samuel and I, five years ago, we moved here from California. It was a pretty easy journey, all things considered. Uh, we sold the house, loaded up the car, drove here in a couple days, uh, survived the road. Not a big deal. Abraham and Sarah were called to make a long journey, and they didn't have the car, and they didn't have the road, and they had lots of things going with them. And they were going to a place that was promised to them, but wasn't theirs currently. Imagine what that would be like. Imagine being told you're going out and you don't have kids yet and being told at a very old age that you're going to have kids and what fear that would put in you. I don't know how I would feel um, if 10 or 15 years from now, God came to me and said, hey, guess what? Guess what? More are coming. I don't know how I'd feel if the Bible called me nearly dead when I got that news, right? That's a little strange verse in there. It's one of my favorite verses in, in the book of Hebrews. Abraham, almost as good as dead, got told he was going to have more kids. Or think about their kids, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Their stories aren't really detailed here, but they had similar challenges regarding provision and position, adversity, and danger. Isaac, imagine what it'd be like. Because he was there for the sacrifice story. Bound up, put on an altar, wondering what is going on. Having a dad who promises we can trust our God. And, and Isaac learned by experience that was true. But what a, man, that's a brutal way to learn that you can trust God. We don't have to pretend it's another thing. That's a brutal way. Those were difficult times. They needed authentic faith. Imagine the mark that would leave on you. Or imagine, imagine you're, you're Jacob and Esau, and you've got this weird thing that happens when your brother kind of steals the promises that were supposed to go to you, and all kinds of weird family division, and all kinds of brokenness. Imagine you're Joseph. I don't know if you remember that story very well. Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers, and it turns out in providence so that he could rescue his family and his people. Imagine what it'd be like. I remember hoping when I was in my 20s that my life would make a difference in realizing the pain that comes with a life that makes the difference, right? Well, my life's small potatoes. Imagine you're Joseph, and the life of a nation hangs on you. And Egypt was no paradise, no picnic, no easy experience. And you're called to walk by faith. And then you're called to predict this, this coming thing that's even harder, right? 400 years down the road, things are going to get tough again. In fact, that's where the passage goes. If you'll follow along with me, we've seen these people, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and then it pivots to Moses. Pivots to Moses. Oh, let me see if it's going to go. There it did. Pivots to Moses. Hear these words with me starting in verse 23. By faith, Moses, 
when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than, in, than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking toward the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Think about Moses' life. He was born at a time where they were killing kids like him. They were killing children like him and his family hid him, it is said. And then you remember the story, by God's providence, he's adopted into Pharaoh's household. And he lives in that luxury and that opulence. And he has a choice. Can you imagine having a choice between everything the world had to offer and what the passage calls the reproach of Jesus, the reproach of Christ? And he makes this choice that he's going to be aligned with God's people. And he's going to walk in faithfulness rather than see his people persecuted so that he can be comfortable and have an easy life. And the passage reminds us that he wanders out and that he goes out, he leaves Pharaoh's house and he, and he goes out trusting God. And then it speaks of the Passover. Do you remember that story? Egypt, a land filled with plagues. Talk about pandemics. A land filled with plagues because of rejecting God has a final plague, a decisive plague that God is going to take the first of everyone in this nation who opposes him. And he tells the people of Israel, put blood on your doorposts so that, so that this thing will pass over you. And they do that. And can you imagine what that would be like? This is not a Bible. This, this happened. There was a day in history where that was happening. And God in his terrible glory was bringing his people out of captivity and that's what it took. And do you remember Moses? It levers them free and they begin to leave Egypt and they walk up to the Red Sea and the water pulls away. Can you imagine what that'd be like? What would it be like to walk across the muddy um, place where the river was? But then you get to the other side and uh, on the one hand, celebrating your rescue from people who are trying to kill you, but at what cost? As you look back and then the Egyptian armies that were coming for you are swept away. There are no free rides in this world, right? What a painful moment to know that your God in providence had to rescue. And that was the only way it's going to work. The only way it's going to work. What a life that must have been. The passage goes on. There's just a few more people. Remember, you're trying to imagine what would it be like? And the reason we're trying to imagine what it would be like, because we're in the middle of a year that demands we ask, what is it really like? What is it really like right now in this place, at this time, among these people, with these difficulties that we are enduring? Just a couple more. The pastor says, quickly, we'll do both of them. Verse 32. Oh, sorry, verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. 
You may remember the story. Their people are wandering in the desert. They come to the city of Jericho. They march around it a bunch of times. God, in his providence, causes the walls to crumble and gives the victory to the people of Israel. What would that be like? Or imagine you're a prostitute named Rahab in that city, and you're called by God to help these spies. And what peril you must have felt like. What fear it must have created in you to know that you were helping them be safe in the midst of such personal danger. Such personal danger. What would those lives be like compared to the ones we've been giving, been given? And then the passage goes on to just name a bunch of others. You probably can't even read them on the screen. Let me read it for you and just, just bring a close to this. Remember, you're supposed to reflect on their experience. Verse 32, the author of Hebrews is trying to make a point here. And he says, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put armies to fight. Verse 35, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world is not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from them, apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So just think of the names again. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. Jephthah for me is, remains the hardest story in the whole Bible. Hardest story in the whole Bible. Most heartbreaking story that I ever read when I'm reading through the Bible. Of David, of Samuel, the prophets. Think of their troubles. They conquered, like some of the stuff that sounds positive in this passage is no picnic. They conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong in weakness. They became mighty in war. Good stuff, but hard. Their women received back their dead, it says. And then it turns, if you remember, uh, they were tortured, it says. They suffered mocking and flogging, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. This passage, you can, you can think, oh, maybe it's exaggerating. It's not exaggerating. This stuff happened to God's people. They were killed by the sword. They went around destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Listen to the places where they were. They, they were wandering. They were in deserts and mountains. They were in dens. They were in, I love this phrase, caves of the earth. How would you have liked to spend the last two years in one of those? Caves of the earth. And then this fitting description at the end, people, men and women, of whom the world is just not worthy, right? Think about it. So you have this picture behind you. All these men and women of whom the world is just not worthy, who went through all these things and walked through them by faith. And the question becomes, uh, what might we learn from this? What can this passage teach us? What can this story, these people, what can they teach us about faithful living in the days ahead? Because on the one hand, these passages are meant to remind us who we belong to, who our brothers and sisters are, but much more, a passage like this is intended uh, to remind us about what it looks like to live 
in the future a life uh, characterized by the kind of faith they have. And I want to suggest three things with my time remaining. First is this. Hebrews 11 reminds us that we are not the first to face difficulty, discouragement, or disruption, even though sometimes it feels that way. Let me say it again. Hebrews 11 reminds you and I that we are not the first to face difficulty, discouragement, or disruption. It is tempting. Hasn't it been tempting to think, oh, no one has ever gone through anything like this, right? It's been tempting. to. I've, I've said these words and I had to eat them. Unprecedented, right? We've never experienced anything like this. Worst it could possibly be, right? That the last couple of years, I've said those things. And it's tempting to think that we're the first. In fact, have you ever got caught complaining uh, to someone who had it much worse than you? Uh, picture this. I've been this guy sometimes. Picture a man who's complaining about aches and pains. Anybody do that? I'm 46. Turns out I have aches and pains now. I didn't have aches or pains 10 years ago. Now I have both, quite a bit of them. Imagine that man complaining to someone who has terminal cancer, right? Anybody been caught in that one? We are saying, oh, I really hurt. How are you doing? You know, in mercy, sometimes you don't have to find out, right? Right? Or this, imagine a businessman who grumbles to his receptionist about his tough financial year. I've, I've, uh, I've talked to more than one person who is leading an organization who's talking about how hard it is financially. And I've imagined the people who are in the other rooms who don't have the nice salary or the big office. Uh, imagine their situation. Adventures in missing the point. Adventures in losing perspective. Or, or what about this? This has happened to me. Um, my daughter, Grace, I love my daughter. But sometimes she'll say, oh, it's so hard, Dad. I'm so busy. And she's a college student with a, a couple kind of side part-time jobs. And I'm just thinking, I'm, I'm busy too, Grace. I feel a little busy too, right? right? Or, or I think this is probably the best one, to put a fine point on it. Imagine Moses came to church today. Imagine Moses came to church today and he was sitting right down here. And we began to tell him how hard it had been the last couple of years. And Moses, oh, we had this terrible pandemic where something like 1% of people who got it got really sick and some of them died, right? Moses, who saw the Passover. Imagine we said to Moses, oh, Moses, you don't know what it's like to fight over masks. They want you to wear a mask to church. Oh, it's terrible. It's killing me, Moses. Moses, who wandered off into the wilderness, and led God's people out. Imagine that we said, Moses, we're fighting about vaccines now and people are all divided. Moses knew a thing or two about division. Brothers and sisters, can I remind you today, as, as one of you, we are not the first people to face tough times. And these times, though they, they seem very hard and are legitimately difficult, are not the toughest times that anyone has ever faced. Terry Samuel and I, we used to live on the central coast of California, and it was in a place called Pismo Beach, California. It was a, a little coastal community. It was one of those places in California that everybody clawed their whole life to get to, right? Beautiful beach, beautiful overlooks. And, and part of the reason I want to tell this story is I just want you to know our pain is real, even though it's not as bad as it could be. I would, I would talk to my friends who pastored in other places, and they would say what it's like. And I said, well, on the one hand, it's hard to get people who live in a place like that to suffer for Jesus. Like it really is. But on the other hand, can I just remind you that everybody you meet, as Augustine has said, everybody you meet is, is fighting a hard battle. And so I'd, I'm not trying to belittle the difficulty that we've gone through in the last year. You guys are, and I, we've faced a hard couple years. And, and the people who I served in California 
who had, had it all almost financially, you know what? They still had genuine pain. In fact, there are a few things so painful um, as the person who gets to the very top of the financial period and pyramid and, and discovers there's nothing there. Um, and people who didn't know the Lord in our community that had it all financially were some of the most sad, desperate people I knew. They really were. Nonetheless, a passage like this needs to, needs to remind us as we take it in perspective, we are not the first to face these difficult times. Uh, and maybe ours aren't the worst. Second thing I want to submit to you from a passage like this, when things fall apart, we must remember we're not alone. Rather, we are surrounded past and present by people who put their hope in God. We are not alone. Part of what a passage like this is designed to do is remind you that you're part of a, a, of a people who believe past and present, who have endured things like this, and you're never meant to feel alone. I don't know if you remember last, it was two years ago, or no, it was last year in May, uh, when, when the city of Minneapolis was just tearing itself apart. And our office, our district office is uh, right in downtown Minneapolis. It's part of Hope Community Church. We're a block from the Viking Stadium. There were three or four days I just didn't go in. Um, but finally, it was time for me to go in. And uh, I didn't know what to expect. If you remember, at this point, stuff was boarded up left and right. There were uh, civil unrest was everywhere. They were calling in authorities from all kinds of places. And I remember driving in, and I decided not to take, I didn't want um, to wimp out. So I got off the freeway and decided I was going to drive the city streets into, Saint Paul, into Minneapolis so I could see what happened. Because everything's tidy from the freeway. Um, I got off on university. I drove all of university down, and it was just heartbreaking. Business after business boarded up, nobody around, all kinds of brutal slogans painted everywhere. Some I agreed with, some I disagreed with, but, they, but just the heart of tearing, tearing apart that was there, right? And just trash and broken stuff everywhere. We turned, I turned left as I came into the city, and I wanted to just drive down toward where George Floyd was murdered. I wanted to get as close as I could. Um, and I was driving past a hospital, Minnesota Children's. Some of you may know the hospital down there. And the most heartbreaking thing I saw that day was that Minnesota Children's was boarded up to about 20 feet. And there were still kids inside, right? And I thought to myself, what are we doing to ourselves? We are tearing ourselves apart. And I tell you, I never felt more alone. It was in my car. I should have had somebody come with me. Heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. Now, here's the truth, though. Just a few minutes later, I gather with our staff, and we gathered to pray. And it was just a simple reminder of what this passage reminds me to be true, that in the midst of difficulty, you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you put your hope in Jesus, you are, hear this, you are never you are never alone. You are never alone. You have brothers and sisters, past and present, who know what it's like to be in the middle of a mess and are there not just for you, but they're with you. They're with you. Hebrews 12 says we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. It's, it gives us the ability to endure. And if you're like me, in this last year, it has been hard to hang in there. And when I'm, when I'm needing to remind myself, what does it really look like? I can, be remember, I can remember in a passage like this that we're surrounded. We're surrounded by people who put their hope in Jesus. Even Moses, I love that verse, that, that Moses can, chose the reproach of Christ 2,000 years before Jesus walks the earth, but he knew the score. He knew who was coming. He knew his Savior was on the horizon. And today, let me tell you, he knows, present tense, he's in that cloud of witnesses. He is surrounding us saying, hey, and he's, and he's not sitting here. Actually, Moses wouldn't be cynical. He wouldn't say, you didn't have it hard. 
We say, brothers and sisters, you can do it. I know what I'm talking about. And then the final thing I just want to submit to you, it's really the main point of this passage. So we surely should remember we're not the first. We definitely should believe we're not alone. But a final thing I just want to put before you, more than anything else, we should, be, we should feel the press to live by faith at a time like this. That is the essential call in this passage. It's the essential call. Over and over again, we are reminded that we should live by faith. And I want, to run, I want to tell you from this passage what that means. So look down at your Bibles with me. Um, this means trusting God in verse 1 when we can't see the outcome. Like, I, I, this September was especially hard for me because I thought we were going to kind of be done with all this. And I had to just make peace with the fact that we don't seem to be done with all this. And it was, it was really depressing for me that we couldn't just get on with it. And, and it turns out, Turns out, for all my education, all my experience, I don't have a clue what's going to happen next. And man, is that humbling. And this passage reminds me that that is the essence of what it means to trust God. When I, when I can't see, I just can't see. Trusting God when we can't see. It also means, if you look at verse 6, it means drawing near to God during adversity, disappointment, and difficulty. It means drawing near to him in those things. If you look at verse 7, it includes things like Noah's reverence. What does it mean to walk by faith? The kind of reverence that Noah has. What does it mean to walk by faith? Verse 8, Abraham's obedience. What does it mean to walk by faith? It's Sarah's trust in verse 11. What does it mean to walk by faith? It's Moses' understanding in verses 25 and 26 about what true riches constitute. It means that when you look at all the wealth that Egypt had to offer and you look at God and Christ, and you say, better by far. That's what it means to walk by faith. Faith in this passage, it looks forward to things not seen. It looks forward to a future reward. It looks to a city built by God. It looks to a homeland, a better country, a heavenly one. And in verse 40, what does it look to? Something better in Jesus Christ. Something better in Jesus Christ. That is what is being offered in this passage over and again. It is why, when I'm thinking right, I remember we do have it better by far right now, even in the midst of this pandemic mess, because Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life in this world, in a messy part of it. He died on the cross, but terrible death. What does Hebrews 11 mean when it's saying something better in Christ? That Jesus died a terrible death for you and I. It also reminds us, as this passage hints at, Jesus rose from the dead in victory. And he offers us new life. He offers us a better country. He offers us true riches. That's what, that's what this passage is trying, by faith means trusting in the one who died and rose again, most specifically in this passage. And then if we look ahead, we'll see in verse 12, or in chapter 12, if we were going to look ahead, it calls us to have a firm focus on Jesus, to keep our eyes on him and to not grow weary, to not grow weary. So my hope is, since you live in the same world I do, that as you've seen these lives, you've been encouraged to feel like you weren't the first, and it's not maybe as hard as you thought it was. My hope is you realize you are not alone, but you're surrounded. And my hope is you are reminded you can walk by faith. This year, this year I had hoped that this year was going to be the year where we put all this nonsense behind us. Turns out that's not the case. Um, and I'm making peace with that, you know. Sometimes well, sometimes not so well. Um, but in light of a passage like Hebrews 11, 
think it's helping me see the forest and not get caught up in those distracting trees, to understand reality, to gain perspective, and to believe, believe that you and I have something better in Jesus Christ. Can you pray with me? Father in heaven, we pause. Having heard your word, we pray you would help us to trust you. We pray that this word will make a difference this day in our lives. We ask God, we ask that you would help us walk with you. We ask that you would help us to trust you. We ask that you would help us to remember that you're the center. We ask that you would help us to believe that no matter the situation, there is always something better in Jesus Christ. We are thankful.